HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, this is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of Heritage Radio Network, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to the only pizza-powered radio station in the entire world. For a decade, HRN has broadcast live from two shipping containers inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, telling the most entertaining and educational stories about food and drink across 35-plus weekly shows. HRN has made it this far thanks to the support of listeners like you. If you like what you hear, show us some love by going to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. With your help, HRN will be able to keep the lights on, the mics hot, and the pizza coming for the next 10 years of food radio. All right, welcome to the Grape Nation for Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We are in Seattle at Taste Washington at the Grand Tasting, a food and wine lover's wonderland celebrating Washington State. Um, I'm going to be speaking with some of the best women in wine in Washington today. So let me introduce my guest. Kay Simon is the proprietor and winemaker at Chinook Wines in the Yakima Valley. Kerry Shields is the winemaker at Cote Bonneville in the Yak- Yakima Valley, too. Welcome to the Grape Nation, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for sitting down with uh, Heritage Radio at Taste Washington. Um, I asked you guys to sit with me because... I want to start out talking about women in wine. And Kerry, you, your family, Kay, you guys have been pioneers in Washington wine. Um, but I guess what I want to ask is, how are women in wine in Washington doing today? Um, Kay, you've been doing it a while. Kerry, you've you know been with the family. Your mom has been there. Um, are women making the impact in wine in Washington? you know, that they should be compared to, you know, a male-driven industry. What's your feelings on that? I think uh, that in Washington, we're at least on par with California, which is sort of the the other basis for for wineries that women have, have evolved into. Uh, and I'm speaking mostly from an educational standpoint that when I graduated from UC Davis, which has a fermentation science program there were three of us in a class of 45 and today when I look at Washington State University here in our state and I look at UC Davis they're graduating approximately equal numbers of men and women which I think that's a that's some progress it's a huge you know huge progress yeah right there Um, I'll come back to you and ask you but tell me your feelings your mom 
you know, has been involved in the business for a long time. You were outside and came back. I mean, being a woman in wine in Washington, is there any issue to that? Well, I think there's two questions there. One is, are women making an impact? And one of the reasons that I went into winemaking is that there were female winemakers that I grew up with, Kay being an important one, uh, was an important influence in my life as part of why I went to UC Davis. And um, so I think they're making an impact because you have influential people, you have some of the best wines in the state are made by women. Are there challenges being a woman That's, in the I industry? I want to get to that. I mean, I think on are, a production you... side, no. I think on a production side, just like anything, you prove so yourself. So we're talking winemaking in the wine cellar. Winemaking in the cellar. So in where the lab, do you feel there's the issue? In the marketplace, because I we have a gentleman who we hired to um, manage some sales for us, and we would go out into and talk to consumers and and buyers and sommeliers and people ask him technical questions and he says she's the winemaker and they couldn't get their heads wrapped around that they would ask him the question and the hardest challenge is for people to understand that women can make wine too it's more of a mental head game than it is a a competency thing so Kay I mean you it's clear that you know, 30, 40 years ago, there were no women coming out of, you know, uh, academia for wine. Now it's substantial. Um, Is that part of the change? I mean, now we're seeing more women, but Kerry brings up a good point of acceptance. Is by putting more women out there a step towards? That's definitely a step. However, I would argue that still in the corporate world of things, which uh, we've seen some some amazing uh, phenomena of women in different businesses over the last couple of years, the hashtag MeToo movement and all that. And I've got to say that when I did work in the corporate world of wine, I did face pay discrimination. I did face uh, pretty blatant... uh, comments that were made towards me um, that today one would not make or one would be sued for sexual discrimination. So I I have experienced that in my past. I I know it still exists out there. And so uh, I think that getting more women into into the work world is important, but it's also that they stick with it, that they're there's the ubiquitous problem of women dropping out of the workforce to have a family and then trying to right, get back in. Right, it's a different in. challenge, and, for and, sure. And it's also, uh, it, it, it's a physical thing, too. Uh, you have to keep fit, and you have to still be working, uh, you know, at, at the same level that the guys You're do. You're subjected to different... Right, you, you have know, to learn to drive a forklift. You know? Right. That's, so what's so. the big deal? <laughs> um, if you look at Washington state and we're talking about women and wine as a microcosm of the wine industry we we alluded to a little earlier there's a lot of wine in it is it better the same worse i mean i think if you talk about napa you talk about europe europe especially is still a little more old school they're slower to accept women i mean is washington a little ahead of the curve i think in terms of visibility, we're behind places like New Zealand. Um, in terms of education, we're at the at the forefront. 
but there's a lot of small businesses in Washington. There are a couple of very large wineries, but the majority of the industry are small family businesses, very small wineries, they're mom and pops. And most of the, of the faces of the industry are the men. And it, not that women aren't important, but you don't see right. them as much. So there's, there's still a bit of a ways to go. Do you feel, and both of you answer this, are the same opportunities available for women in wine in Washington I think as men? Somewhat, I would say yes. The, and the what's one, the hesitation? The, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that's just an age-old problem. You know, right. of, of respect for one another that goes goes beyond gender, it goes beyond race, it goes beyond your religion, that we, we just respect each other. But the one thing that I think is very, very prominent in Washington, that we're winemakers here at the table. Right. But I also have lots of friends who are vineyard managers. And so I, and I think that's also almost a more important step for women in Washington wine is that they're now managing some of the biggest vineyards in the state. There's a woman managing Sagemore Farms. There's a woman managing Canoe Ridge Vineyard. I think it's really an, another important step in our industry that they're, uh, they're running crews out in the vineyard and they're doing uh, some other really important work. So every box has been checked almost, but not enough yet. Right. Where you're getting there. And I think the question about opportunities is really, I think from in the vineyard there are opportunities, in the winery there are opportunities. When I think about in the marketplace, which at the end of the day, that's how we all get to keep playing is by selling the wine because this is a very expensive hobby otherwise. Right. Um, very and, much. <laughs> and there are a lot of opportunities that I've gotten because I'm a woman. So I, I think there are opportunities that I miss out on because I'm a woman and I think there's opportunities I get. So I think part of it is also having the attitude that what is your challenge is also your opportunity. And there are ways to present present ourselves that take advantage of that. And by being a minority in the industry, we are different. We are more visible. And use that's, that to advantage. And you can use that to your advantage. Yeah. That's great. Um, last question on this subject, because I want to talk about Washington State wines, and I want to talk about your wineries a little. Um, so if a woman comes up to you, a younger woman, and wants to get into the business, what, what do you tell her? What's the encouragement? You know, what's, what's a, a route to uh, follow? I mean, what's your best advice? You don't discourage, right? Right. Never discourage. I'm, because of my own background, I, I tend to recommend that you get some education in it. You don't have to be a chemist, but it helps to know some chemistry. Oh, definitely. And, uh, Do you so agree? I mean, you're you. I yeah. got a master's degree from right. UC Davis because of advice like that. So that's a yeah. good backbone. And the other the other thing is, uh, I, I also work uh, with a group called Les Dames de Scopier. We're an international group. There's a there's a New York chapter, and we have a chapter here in Seattle. And we sponsor, we have endowed scholarships for women studying viticulture and enology, also in the School of Hospitality Business Management at Washington State University. So we're encouraging young women in that way That's great. Um, uh, with scholarship and with that encouragement. But yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, I, I get excited when I talk to young women who are just getting started in the field. So. What, what about you? I mean, 
you agree with the education piece. I agree it's a, with education. It's a path you followed. Well, and not only that, I think that it's important to be competent, and as the industry becomes more com competitive, not just in Washington, but globally, there are more countries that are improving quality, exporting all over the world. There are more people starting wineries. There's more competition, and the way to compete is to be very competent and continue to do a good job. And so it is a profession, and many, many people think that wine is, they're very passionate, and they think this is fun, and it's what we love to do. But that doesn't mean you can love it and not be good at it and excel. Right. And so just like any other career, you should get an education. Experience is very important. And the more education and experience you get, the more good mentors you have, the more you stay on top of everything. Just like any profession, that's how you have a good career. Good advice. Um, I want to talk about Washington State Wines that's why we're here. <laughs> um, I think for people to be interested in wine, you know, the wine has to be unique or there's a characteristic or a trademark to it. Um, you guys are very committed to making wine in this area. What makes Washington State wines so unique? It's really a confluence of factors that mean that you get warm days and cool nights at this latitude we have nice ripe fruit like you'd expect. So first we're talking about, you talked about climate. Yes. You have long warm days, let's lay this out. You got warm days, which gives you nice ripe fruit flavors. So you have, you have nice developed fruit, but we also have cool nights. Right. So you have good acidity and balance and complexity. And we love acidity, right? Yeah. We do, and we for, also for have a long day length. We're at a latitude of uh, 40, well, north of 45 degrees. 45. Like, just for context, the the growing day is longer than Napa, right? Correct. I mean, you and think because so you're on the northeast, Napa's the same. Right. I mean, we you... start later. We have a longer frost season, and so we start later, but we catch up because we have longer day length. We're at the same latitude as Bordeaux and Burgundy. And, okay. Napa. and Cleveland. All right. No, I wouldn't... Just throw uh, that out there. Okay. I wouldn't <laughs> go around. I just fired you from the marketing team. Sorry. All right? Because that's not a good thing. Um... Well, no, I apologize to Cleveland, okay? Um, all right, so climate, definitely a unique factor to that, you know. It is, and, and what differentiates us from Cleveland is that we have these mountain ranges that protect us from Serious the, the weather. Serious mountain ranges. Serious mountain yeah. ranges. So it, snow, it rains in Seattle, it snows in the mountains, all the major weather patterns go around us. So the Yakima Valley is a very dry, where we both make wine, is a very, very dry region. Unlike Cleveland. Um, right, it's very wet. Seven inches of annual precipitation where we are. So that, that correct me if I'm wrong, the vine struggle, mm -hmm. a more intense grape yep. flavor more. and all that. Exactly. And we, and we do augment that with uh, irrigation right. water from snow melt. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, but it also makes it very sustainable because pests and diseases and mildews and molds don't thrive in Washington in those kind of dry climate conditions. Right. So it's a very inherently sustainable growing region, which is also a what very about attribute. Soil, terroir, a lot of variation. Yakima different than Walla Walla, than Columbia Gorge. The, the bulk of eastern Washington, i.e. east of the Cascade Mountain right. Range, which is, is most of everyone. consistent. There are river valleys and there's ancient history of uh, 
volcanic activity followed by the ancient lakes floods, which I'm sure you've heard about, that scoured out the, the basin and then wind deposited soils, so loose, so uh, very sandy soils, which don't support some of the major pests like phylloxera. Right. And so we have, but, but I would say consistently between the Columbia Valley, the Yakima Valley, the Walla Walla Valley, and even down somewhat into the Columbia River Gorge, that the, our, our differences are smaller than our similarities in, in, in eastern Washington. So. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing isn't so much the variation on a macro level, it's variation on a micro level. Whether you're down on the valley floor where there's more of the siltation and the influence from the Missoula floods, or whether you're up higher elevation where with more of the basalt. Right, that's so underneath. that could be any individual winery, or that can exist within one winery where you have yeah. different. Well, for example, we make two different wines from our estate vineyard. My mom and dad planted our vineyard. Uh, 1992, and we have two different wines that are from two different geologies that are 50 yards apart. Really? And those are both unique and different, and it's it's the micro differences can be incredibly dramatic. All right, so that's a good segue. I asked you guys to run back to your booths and bring a little wine. So we'll start <laughs> with Kerry. So Kerry, let's let's taste a little wine. So quickly set up what you brought over. Well, when I saw that uh, Kay was here. I said, you know, we started making this delicious Cabernet Franc Rosé that's completely dry. It's very classy and elegant. And Chinook has made, made a Cab Franc Rosé that was a model for us. And so I thought that would be, since we're talking about impact of women in the wine industry. I may cry. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, and again, women are impactful. And this is, a, this is right. my wine that shows how impactful women are in the industry. So pour it around. I'm curious to see what Kay says. So it is 100% Cabernet Franc. We you're 18? 18, uh, the 2018. We grow this wine, the grapes, specifically for this wine. So it's um, it's really, I think it's delicious. It's Okay. Um, so wait, it's Cab Franc 100%? 100%. 100%. And Let's, uh, we do a quick analysis. We don't want to, you know, spend the whole time on it. What are we getting on the nose? I'm interested in Carrie and UK. Okay. We're getting, um, I think this, this wine always has some real nice ruby red grapefruit, and it's got some citrus, it's got the berries. You're right. Okay, what do you get on the nose? I get a really nice, delicate, yes, something like a grapefruit. It's almost like a Sauvignon blanc sort of, yeah. Very yeah, delicate. That that citrusy grapefruit is Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Um, Mouthfeel, it's somewhat full and unctuous to me. Am I right about that? Yep. It's not a medium less. It's, no, it's, we have plenty of sunshine, get plenty of uh, ripeness in mm -hmm. Washington wines. Now give me the um, palate descriptors. Do they match the... Um, the nose? The nose? I think they do. Okay, yeah, Any, anything new on the palate? Well, I think it's interesting that it's got nice, it's crisp and it has good acidity, but it's also got that roundness and that richness. Yes. And so it makes it a very interesting food. It carries line. all those elements, which so is I'm nice. So it's sushi. It's great yes, with sushi. That's always the last question. <laughs> Best pairing for this? Okay, yours mm. is sushi? I like, we're in the Pacific Northwest. I like salmon. This is a good salmon wine. It's a great the salmon wine. It could hold up to the mm -hmm. fat. 
Okay. Um, in a few minutes, we'll get to your wine cake. All right, All right. Can I talk to you about a few other important topics? Talk to me about sustainability. Um, what you're doing, is enough being done? Um, is that important to you? And sustainability and natural, are, it's a wide subject. It is a wide Organics, subject. Organics, biodynamics, sustainable. Well, and it's a challenging subject. We were part of a sustainability program when it piloted in, in the vineyard in Washington State. And we actually dropped out of the certification program because it was developed in uh, Oregon and in Bordeaux, where they get a lot more rain. And so it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because this, the certification program actually was not using best practices for our region. You had to make unenvironmentally un friendly choices to be certified by the environmentally friendly certification program. So we have always tried to be do the right thing. And a, there's a lot of family farms. There's a lot of in Eastern Washington in the Yakima Valley and they're multi-generational. And so sustainability is very important because it's our livelihood right. as farmers. Which is sort of the European model. You lived on the farm, the vineyards, and you didn't want to crud them up with pesticides or whatever. Exactly. But you said something earlier. The climate gives you less problem where you we're, don't have to intervene with all of that, which yeah, is a good thing. We're much less prone to fungal diseases and things of that nature. Uh, and and also the, the soil, as I said, the sandy soil uh, mm -hmm. makes us less prone to some insect diseases. Right. I won't say all of them, but to some insect diseases. And, and you're right, it, we're living in, we're living at the vineyard. And so we're gonna, we, and we return all the pumice that we generate when we're making the wine back out to the vineyard. Uh, we're not throwing things away. Uh, right. we're, we're trying to be, yeah, trying to be good So Kerry, you, you talked about, you know, this Oregon Bordeaux model. Is there anything in the makes to make the Washington model or it's just too much to undertake? Like well, they've updated their standards and they are changing it. We decided that to keep the vineyard certified doesn't, it's not worth the cost and people don't, people, consumers don't look at certification the same way because you don't, there, there's this, there's the range and the spectrum. It's not organic or not. And organic grapes are different than organic wine. And so then there's wine made from organic well, grapes and all of those. Organic grapes and organic wine. Are not the same thing. Right. Organic grapes are grown in the field organically, which is without pesticides. Uh, Explain. Organics, or, organics mean that you have to farm according to a certain set of rules. Okay. They're not, um, it doesn't mean no pesticides. It doesn't mean no additions. It doesn't mean that nothing happens in the vineyard and conventional farmers are out raping the land. That's not, it's definitely not that black and white. It's a set of rules with which you have to farm by. Right. And then organic wines mean that you have to use organic grapes, but you also have to make your wine according to a set of rules that are organic, that follows that criteria. More of a low interventionist, no sulfur or what, not? I forget all the rules, right. but the... You're, you're allowed some sulfur dioxide. Right. Well, sulfur dioxide's made by yeast. Right, so the, it the occurs naturally. of what is a natural addition or an unnatural addition... Yeah, I'm talking addition. about adding, you know, loads of it in, which is not a sustainable organic wine, obviously. If well, you add again, a lot Again, I don't know what the... To me, all of those... The systems and the certifications are 
are tools for the consumer to understand how things are done, but if your consumers understand that you do things correctly, that, and they trust you, then you don't, that can be more important. And our, right. our customers are I driven agree. by quality, and the quality of the family farm is what's important to us. Different people have different ideas. There are definitely biodynamic growers and biodynamic right. practitioners in Washington. There's the whole, like any industry, there's the whole spectrum. You agree? I, I do, and another another part of this whole question of sustainability versus organic versus you know natural, whatever the heck that means, uh, is that for some of these, in order to keep your vineyard in uh, the status that you want for as a commercial enterprise, you're making a lot of passes with a tractor and you're using a lot more petrochemicals in doing that. Right, so that's it's just a it's something footprint. for the consumer to understand about the whole thing. It may or may not be an advantage or it may be an advantage. It depends on, you know, right. it may be, maybe you just point. have a personal uh, commitment to only putting organic things in your body. Right. And Were you going to say something? Well, I was also going to say one of the other things that's important is you have a lot of passes with a tractor, you get soil compaction issues. And there are other things that are under the umbrella of one certification process, whereas we do all of our farming by hand, so we don't have the tractor passes. But that is not in the certification anywhere. Right. And I think the thing that's... But it's a major impact on what you're doing. It's a, There are so many major impacts that right. aren't in the certification practices, which is why we don't... We are very sustainable. We're committed. We have a shelter belt. We actually released over 100 baby pheasants last year as part of a wildlife rehabilitation project last summer. It was so fun. They were adorable. And so there's nice. a lot of these things that, that don't come into the certification, but it's really about doing the right thing. Right. Um, let me ask you about emerging varietals. Are you thinking about or do you have to go outside of what you've been doing for years and plant different grapes or experiment with others or you, do you stay the course with what you're doing I, think you I mean and let me interrupt for a second the climate allows you like nobody's doing much pinot noir just i guess because of the climate but do you stay within your comfort zone or do you I guess it depends on how many years you plan on being in the business. <laughs> and, and explain and our, why, well, I, I will, to turn it around. Our, yeah, at, at our winery, um, we did expand the number of varieties, and then more recently, we're saying, let's just do what we do best. So you, you know, cut back, or we're we're cutting back, and part of that was because is that a replanting uh, thing too? It was some partly that that okay. a couple of the growers took particular varieties out that we depended on, and so it's like, well. Let's, we, we won't make semi-on anymore. All right. But uh, I, I think you you have to really examine what you do best. Uh, and I think most importantly, you have to look at the market. Yeah. But if you're not doing it well, the market's not going to accept it. Correct. What? Well, I think you have to know who you are because if you are a Spanish producer who wants to explore Spanish varietals, and you can find a grower to plant something esoteric from Spain, then that's great. We are an estate winery, and so I can't buy fruit from somebody else. If I want to try something new, I have to rip out an, a block of, vineyard, of vines that we already have that's existing and growing beautiful fruit, and then I have to plant something else and wait three years to get a crop and then vinify the wine. And it's a five-year trial 
to see if it was a good decision or not. So there's a lot of if there's a lot of thought that goes into experimentation at that level. It's a big commitment and a big time thing. Exactly. Yeah, you, you don't have the luxury of just... And if you're doing something really well right now, then why not keep doing it? Right. And, and on that subject of Washington wine and varieties, um, there was a study done many years ago in the 1960s and 1970s and through the 1980s by Washington State University, and they planted a total of about 150 grape varieties and followed them for a 20-year span and made wine from them and then released those recommendations to the industry. So you could say we're all copycats, but you could also say we're informed copycats right. that we know. I remember a variety called Rakatsatelli that was a Russian variety. <laughs> I, I don't know anybody growing it today, but it was part of the trial. That's pretty interesting. Um, do you feel, you know, Washington is known for not necessarily you guys, but Bordeaux varietals, um, Rhone varietals, a lot of cab houses and all of that. Um, there's been a movement, not necessarily here, towards more restrained wines. Do you feel any of that, like from your consumers? I, I mean, I don't think you guys make these big wines, but... We actually started working more towards more restrained wines a couple years ago because... Why, I guess? Because I like to drink, and I so you low, what Tell people when you make a wine more restrained, what are you doing? You're lowering the alcohol or...? Lowering the alcohol, reducing the new oak, so they're balanced, they're elegant, the alcohol's lower, which means you can have another glass, which I like, because again... I like to drink, but I don't like to be drunk. I like alcohol in moderation. And it's easier to be in control of exactly how much you're drinking when you're drinking more slowly and when you're drinking wines with lower alcohol. So our alcohol levels are all around 14% where there are other places of the world where the alcohols have been, and there were times where alcohols were creeping up and up and up to 16%, which is right. a lot. I mean, one of my favorite wines to make and drink is Riesling, and our Riesling has 10% alcohol. Right. Well, that's it's typical of, it, of Riesling. Um, so when you were tasked with winemaking, that was the direction you wanted to go? It was a, it's been an evolution. Right. But you put it into action. Yeah. Because that's what you like. What about you? Is it an issue at all? or? You, it's not an issue because I, well, I, I worked in wine for a, a number of years before we started our winery in 1983. So I was pretty well focused on what wine style I liked and I wanted to make. And, and my, that's it. My husband's completely in line with that, yeah. And it is more restrained uh, in terms of alcohol and tannins. So you started that way. We started right. that way, right. yeah. Well, um, the... I mean, there are probably times when we were guilty of a little bit too much new oak, but it, that was a that was just a blip. So right. Well, and I think even with consistency over the years, everything it's more tweaks. Like as as professionals who have been doing this for a long time, the changes that with I, I know in your wines the changes of a little more new oak versus a little less new oak aren't dramatic. They're more subtle they're tweaks. They're right. small shifts. So for us, they seem big, but... Right. But we're not comparing, which is a good segue because we want to taste your wine. All right. 
So, yes, Kay, you brought. So I, brought. I encourage everyone, if because we don't have two glasses, not to chug, but to elegantly throw the remaining wine <laughs> over your tongue. Okay? All right. All right. And then, Kay, now you could pour out. First, tell us what we're drinking. All right. I brought our 2017 Sauvignon Blanc. And after many years of working with a grower couple named Dick and Luann Holden Boucher, um, this is the first time we've made a Sauvignon Blanc entirely from their vineyard. And it's kind of fun because it's actually on a slightly north-facing slope. Um, and it, it ripened really beautifully and made a nice... Uh, All right, so let's, let's evaluate. It's a very pale color. Right. You know, pretty typical of Sauvignon Blanc. Let's go with the nose. I have a lot of expectations of Sauvignon Blanc, so let's see what the Washington ones. It's a little restrained, which I like. <laughs> give me your... Kerry, give me your descriptors first. Well, it's got the citrus that you would expect from Sauvignon Blanc. It's got some nice floral notes, and I think it's got a really beautiful melon component. There, there is floral and melon, which is not always the first things you say about Sauvignon. You know, a lot of citrus, grassy, sometimes cat pee, none of that. Right, but th those sunny days, uh, that that's sort of a progression in Sauvignon Blanc as it ripens. It goes from that grassy, herbal sort of character into peaches and right uh, which is where you're at with this or ripe which is red nice. grapefruit all right so exactly. mouthfeel i get acidity on the tongue nice yeah i get a medium body mm -hmm. right what mm -hmm. do you get carrie a medium I'd say medium yeah and i love the acidity sauvignon yeah. blanc should be crisp and fresh and refreshing and and just wonderful, want, it should leave your mouth salivating and want you to have some food with it. And this wine definitely does. Now, what about the palate? Does it reflect the... Um... It, it definitely reflects our aim in terms of winemaking. We have a pretty high-tech Italian press, and we press really lightly, uh, meaning that our yields are pretty poor. For, from a large winery perspective, they wouldn't accept those yields. But it means that, that what we retain after pressing is uh, good quality. So here's what I'm picking up. I mean, it's a beautiful Sauvignon Blanc. Thank it's, you. I don't want to use the word restrained, but like you said, I feminine, mean. Feminine, elegant. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it's elegant, not feminine, not feminine, elegant, but it doesn't have those high tone, like you said, right. Right. which I think a lot of people would love this. You know, so it's a beautiful wine. So this is the two, 2017 Correct. Chinook Sauvignon Blanc. Um, it's a beautiful wine, and thank you for bringing it in. Thank All right, you. I wanted to, we're going to wrap up soon, but I want you guys to help me decipher something. And we talked about it a little off air, and I, I want you to address it. We have about five minutes to wrap up. Um, we came out here because we have a high respect for uh, Washington wines. I thought it would be great to cover it. I think there's, you know, great stories out here and great wines. But me being the typical New Yorker, I don't know if Washington wines gets the love or recognition it deserves. Now, that doesn't mean I'm right. This is just my observation. Um, 
But is there any sense of that? Is there any frustration about marketing? And I don't mean to be negative at all. You, right. you know, if one thing I'm doing, it's to help you know promote and get the name out. Yeah, well, thank you. We really appreciate that, and especially that you came out all the way from the East Coast to, to taste wine and drink food and hopefully have a few oysters. We did. While you're here. We're eating a lot. Don't worry. <laughs> but I think it's going to vary winery to winery, and Carrie can speak uh, for a winery that's probably trying to market a little more outside the state than our own. Okay. We're a very regional producer. So, so that's you, one answer. That's where you want to be. Right. So it's that's not where important we be. beyond right. whether output, vision, whatever. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that's fair. And our vision was always to put Washington wine on the map. And so we make classically styled benchmark type wines that really showcase our sense of place because De Brule Vineyard is one of the top vineyards in Washington. And so it's important to us to be in restaurants in New York City, in DC, in Chicago, in San Francisco, in LA. And it's it takes time. We are such a young industry. We often talk about New World. Washington State wineries. It's a 40-year, you it's know, a 40 maybe a little year longer. industry. When I was so working in Argentina, which is a New World wine growing region, I said, how long have you been making wine here? They said, when did the Spaniards get here? 500 years ago? About 500 years. Right. And so we're a young industry with a bunch of very small producers that make some of the best wines in the world, and it's just an education process. So if you're in New York... I would say seek out Washington Wines. Come visit us. It's ask how you really it. understand. And ask for it. Um, otherwise, come travel here. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, I, I would encourage you. All right. We're going to wrap up. I want to thank Kay Simon from uh, Chinook Wines. Kay, if people want to find out more about your wines and where to get them, what's the best thing? Website? Facebook? Website. Okay. Yeah, and that would be? www www.chinookwines.com. C-H-I-N-O-O-K-W-I-N-E-S. Wines.com. And Carrie, Cote Bonneville. Cote Bonneville. C-O-T-E-B-O-N-N-E-V-I-L-L-E. That's the spelling. Where do we go? You can go to the website. You can go to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. If you want to see the baby chicks and the other sustainability stuff, okay. social media for the winery info, go to the website. All right, listen, thank you very much for sitting down and talking to us about the important issues. Um, we wish you good luck, and uh, we'll check back with you soon. Thank you, Sam. All right. Thank you. Um, so thank you to Kay Simon, and thank you to uh, Kerry Shields. Um, you're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We are at Taste Washington and visit Seattle, and thank them for making our coverage possible. Um, we'll see you soon.